Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Social Work Journal. I'm your host, Del Tom. That's right. I said it. Del Tom. Call me by my moniker. Don't call me by my government. Remember, I don't want to affiliate anything that I say on here with any organization that I work for. I know some coworkers of mine might be listening. Um, this podcast is just supposed to be a place for healing and a place for us to kind of find answers to questions we may have and maybe relate some experiences to what's out there with the peer-reviewed journals or with evidence-based practice, with articles, you know, different things we find on the web. We're just searching for answers together. That's why I say I'm not an expert, but I am experienced. So let's just go along this journey of experiencing, learning, growing, and healing together. Okay, before we get started and I get into today's topic, I just want to let you know, I didn't say this on my first podcast, but if you want to reach out to me with questions, suggestions, comments, you can write me at thesocialworkjournal at gmail.com. I will read your emails. I will respond as long as it's about the podcast. (laughs) Just joking. And also, I have a blog that's kind of like a follow-up to these podcast episodes. So whatever books or journals or websites or articles that I'm referring to, I will be posting them in my blog so that you can go back and look at the stuff yourself. Um, My blog is at www.thesocialworkjournal.com. Okay. And if you didn't catch that, don't worry. I'll reiterate this at the end of our podcast. So without further ado, we're going to get into our topic today, which is perfectionism. So I was inspired to do this podcast because I'm a self-proclaimed perfectionist. And, you know, I think perfectionism has kind of a negative orientation or a negative connotation to it. And that's why I was like, hmm, well, let's, I wanted to do some research. I wanted to see what was out there as far as peer-reviewed journals and things on different websites about perfectionism. So First, let's get into the basics. Merriam-Webster, the good old dictionary. What do they say about perfectionism? So they say perfectionist is one who refuses to accept anything less than what is deemed to be perfect. Pretty straightforward definition. I think very black and white probably doesn't really get into the nitty gritty of a perfectionist or the function of a perfectionist. However, psychology today, they talk about Um, different types of perfectionism, right? And they even categorize perfectionists. But one thing I like that they say is that perfectionism can be healthy and it can be unhealthy, okay? So healthy perfectionism is self-motivating. It drives you to overcome adversity and achieve success, according to psychology today. Whereas unhealthy perfectionism is driven by the fear of failure. So whenever I want to sit back and say, okay, Del Tom, are you using your perfectionism in a healthy or an unhealthy way? I'm like, okay, I'm getting stuck. Is there a fear of failure there that's motivating my perfectionism? If so, I know I'm using my perfectionism in an unhealthy way. However, if I'm setting high standards for myself because I have certain goals that I want to attain, and this is how I'm motivating myself to reach those goals, I know, okay, Delta, you're using your perfectionism in a 
healthy way. So that's great. Now, Psychology Today also talks about three categories of perfectionism. They're self-oriented, other-oriented, and socially prescribed perfectionism. So what does that mean? Okay, let's start with self-oriented. Self-oriented is someone who they set goals for themselves. They have a certain level of standards, usually high, for their own performance. They are not consumed with what other people are doing. They're only consumed with themselves and what they have set for themselves to achieve, right? Other-oriented perfectionism, okay, that's when someone has expectations for others. They want others to be perfect in performance or meet their high standards. And when others don't meet their standards of performance, they usually meet those other people with criticism, with resentment, resistance. That is other-oriented perfectionism. Self is about you, not concerned about other people. Other, you're concerned about what other people are doing, right? Now, let's look at the last one, socially prescribed perfectionism. That refers to an individual who believes they have this mindset that others expect perfectionism for from them, right? So because they have that belief, they believe that, hey, if I don't meet this standard of being perfect, or if I don't have this image for others, there are going to be some interpersonal um, consequences for me. So that's what motivates them, what others think about them. That's socially prescribed. So now that we've gotten into the three categories of perfectionism, I want to talk to you today about whether or not it's considered to be healthy or unhealthy. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting, I was looking at this article from Springer and it says how other oriented perfectionism differs from self-oriented and socially prescribed perfectionism. And what they specifically wanted to measure was people's kind of traits of humor. And I think this is very telling of how their perfectionism kind of influences the way that they interact with others. So self-oriented perfectionists, they have a positive relationship with affiliative humor and other interests, but they had negative relationships with aggressive humor, callous or uncaring traits in others, and a competitive orientation from others. I totally relate to that because if I had to think about myself, I kind of consider myself to be a self-oriented um, perfectionist. So like I said, self-oriented, you're not really worried about what other people are doing and you're not necessarily placing your standards on others. You just have your own goals and your own standards for yourself. I am not motivated at all by competition. I'm only motivated by the standards that I've set for myself and the things that I see as what I want to achieve. That's what motivates me. Being creative and morphing and growing. So I totally relate to the self-oriented um, perfectionist style. However, let's look at the other traits. So the other categories, other-oriented perfectionists, they have positive relationships with aggressive humor. So remember, other-oriented, you're concerned about what other people's 
are doing and you have standards that you are placing on others. So they have aggressive humor, uncaring traits, and an individualistic orientation. Okay. They have positive self-regard, but they had negative relationships with pro-social orientation and other interests. They're not really interested in what other people's ideas or beliefs or kind of what other people set as like high standards for themselves. It's all about what they think, what they believe, what their interests are, what their standards are. So very interesting. Like I said, these are people who are going to be more resistant to others that don't share their standards and their beliefs. Now let's look at the socially prescribed perfectionist. They have positive relationships with self-deprecating humor, unemotional traits. However, on the negative side, they have negative relationships with both forms of positive self-evaluations. So basically, they don't think too highly of themselves when you really get to the core of who they are. Okay. That's why there's a positive relationship with the self-deprecating humor. And there's a negative relationship with these positive forms of self-evaluation. So that Springer article, I'll reiterate it to you again, but don't worry. I'm going to also post this on my blog, how other oriented perfectionism differs from self-oriented and socially prescribed perfectionism, further findings. And this is by, hopefully I don't butcher this person's name, Joshin Stover. Okay. Now, There was another study that I want to get into. Oh, yeah. And by the way, just so you know, because a lot of times when I mention these peer review journals, I know that people want to know like, okay, well, how did they measure this or how did they find positive correlation or how is this generalizable to the greater population? So in this article that we just talked about, they examined 229 university students. Okay. Remember, as long as you have a population size of at least 100 and you randomly select your participants and you use reliable tools for measurement, amongst some other things that I won't get into because by no means am I a research professor. Typically, the findings will have will be reliable and they'll be valid. And if there's a positive correlation determined between multiple traits, the independent and the dependent variable then you could say, okay, this article is probably reliable. It has 36 citations. So I think this is a reliable article that you can look to or a reliable peer review journal. So don't worry, we did our research here. Okay, so another peer review journal that I want to talk about is called The Relationship Between Socially Prescribed Perfectionism and Depression, The Mediating Role of Maladaptive Cognitive Schemas. Okay, so this study was actually performed in Islamic Azad University Fars in Shiraz, Iran. Okay, so this is a university in Iran where they also had a large sample size. I believe their sample size was 200 students, right? And I think they did use random selection, but they somehow selected 160 males and then 40 females. Now, why specifically they chose to do perform their research this way? I think it's because if you look further into perfectionism, especially when you're looking at not self-oriented, but other oriented perfectionism and then socially prescribed perfectionism, 
they do find and research that there is a correlation of other oriented perfectionism and socially prescribed perfectionism being more prevalent in a one particular gender versus another. So maybe that's why they were looking more so at males. And also too, I think this program that they were pulling students from was some kind of, it says Master of Science and Bachelor of Science. So it was like a science program that they were specifically targeting. And perhaps at their school, they have just more males in that program. But I do think that they also were targeting males because of that correlation that we talked about between gender and then these types of perfectionism. So just to get into the scales that they use or the tools that they use to measure, you know, the correlation between, first of all, the two categories of perfectionism that they're targeting, depression, and then trying to figure out, well, does other oriented and does socially prescribed perfectionism, how can you, is there a strong correlation between those two categories and also depression? Okay, so let's look at the skills that they use. There was the multidimensional perfectionism scale. There was depression, anxiety, stress scale. There was the schema questionnaire short form. So those are the four tools that they use to try to find a positive correlation between the two categories of perfectionism that we're talking about here and depression. So let's see what they found. Basically, what they found for sure was that there was a positive correlation because I think they chose to focus more on socially prescribed perfectionism rather than other oriented perfectionism. So looking at socially prescribed perfectionism, they found a positive relationship between the failure schema and socially prescribed perfectionism. That makes sense, right? Because if you are consumed with what others think of you, or if your perfectionism is driven by the ideology that other people are expecting perfection from you, then you probably would have a high sort of fear of failure. Then someone who is not really thinking, oh, well, I have to meet these expectations of others, right? That's not what is driving their perfectionism or their high standards. So that makes sense. So what does the failure schema have a positive relationship with? Well, there was defectiveness and shame, dependence and incompetence, and insufficient self-control, which these were all things that they were able to find a relationship with, with depression. So is there a direct link between socially prescribed perfectionism and depression? According to their research, they couldn't really necessarily nail that down. But what they did nail down was, hey, there's a significant relationship between failure and depression, and there's a significant relationship between socially prescribed perfectionism and the failure schema. And the failure schema consists of these subcategories that also comprise depression, which is, once again, I'll repeat it, effectiveness and shame, dependence and incompetence, and insufficient self-control. So what are five specific consequences that they found of failing? Experiencing shame and embarrassment, having important others' lost interests. So remember, that makes a lot of sense because someone who is socially prescribed in their perfectionism 
they fear that, hey, if I don't meet these standards of others, people may lose interest in me. Also, the university found that only socially prescribed perfectionism, among other aspects, was strongly associated with beliefs that failure led to adversive interpersonal consequences, which we discussed earlier. So, you know, this peer-reviewed journal, it really just affirms some of those ideas that we talked about before. Now, how do these schemas even come about? This journal also addresses that. So basically what they were saying was, look, schemas are constructed over time as a result of adults, because these are adults they're looking at. They're in university, so they are adults. If you look at their childhood and over time, what their temperament was, what some of their dysfunctional experiences were with significant others, or if they had significant interpersonal problems, that may impact their morphing into this socially prescribed perfectionist. Now, what's interesting about this is they mention that one of those interpersonal problems could be and may have been developed from adults who, when they were children, their parents used a love withdrawal style to discipline them. So basically what these parents would do is they would withhold affection as a means of control. You don't meet my standards, I will withhold affection from you. Does this ring a bell? Does this kind of remind you of something? Hmm. Perhaps our first podcast, where we talked about attachment, and we talked about how attachment is directly linked to identity. And we know that children adapt their attachment style from the relationship that they have with their parent that is the main caretaker. So if your main caretaker is using this love withdrawal style with you, I could imagine you might have an insecure attachment, right? And we talked about the different types of insecure attachment, which could lead to a socially prescribed perfectionist style. It's crazy how all these things just kind of link together. You get from the theory to the peer-reviewed journals to everyday thinking and living, and you're like, bam, there's the answer. This is how this came about. So now that we've heard about the research, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about my own experience with perfectionism. You know, I've always had really high standards for myself, and that's just who I am. I've never tried to impose my own standards on others. However, I have been in many situations where I felt like someone was imposing their standards on me, which is, well, you shouldn't have such high standards for yourself. Or I've been in situations professionally and personally where I felt like someone was trying to make me feel uncomfortable or like there was something wrong with me for having high standards for myself or for wanting to perform at a certain level or to want to have a certain level of achievement. And I don't know. I just kind of thought to myself, hmm, now I can understand I was impeding my standards on others, right? If I was an other-oriented perfectionist, I could understand why I might get that pushback. But I was like, if you're imposing your ideas of what my standards should be upon me, because my high level of standards for myself now, not for others, 
is making you feel uncomfortable, isn't that unhealthy? Isn't that, could that be considered other-oriented perfectionism? Because you have this paradigm of how you think others should think, right? What you think others should believe, and now you're imposing that on others, or I should say on myself. Now, I don't know that I've had necessarily negative encounters with other-oriented perfectionists, but I would say much of my negative encounters with perfectionists that I would say are a different category than myself are most likely socially prescribed perfectionists because I think they are more driven by competitiveness. So imagine if you're in, it could be professional or personal setting, right? You're perfectionist. You have these high standards for yourself, but you are motivated by what other people are going to think about you, your identity with others. That's that socially prescribed. And then you come across someone who's also a perfectionist, but they don't really care what other people think. They're just motivated by goal attainment. So I think because they're less driven by fear, there's less procrastination. There's probably more creativity. There's probably more motivation because we all know that guilt and fear are demotivators and creativity and evolution are motivators. I could see now having this information why there probably was that conflict because you have someone who is not consumed with competition and someone who is driven by that competition. Well, the way I see it is like this. It takes all types of people to make this world. And by no means am I criticizing anyone. But I think to myself, whenever I've had conflict with someone who is more socially prescribed, I just try to eliminate myself from that person as much as possible, remove myself from that person as much as possible. Because I was like, you know, to avoid conflict, I don't want to be your motivation for perfection, right? So how do I remove myself from that situation? Maybe just don't share my ideas with them. Maybe just shield my successes from them. Maybe show more interest in what their ideas are, which, hey, we saw the research. People who are self-oriented perfectionists, they actually are interested in other people's ideas, which I am. I think the greatest question that one could ask themselves is what's next? Or one of the most powerful statements that I use day-to-day in my life is, I don't know. I love to say, I don't know. Now, some people might think that that makes you look incompetent. But for myself, when I say, I don't know, I feel empowered because now I can go out and find the information and find the possibilities, right? And the more information I have, the more powerful I feel. You know, they say knowledge is power. So for me, I just think there is power in just being able to say, I don't know. And I think that we can all take the pressure off of ourselves when we don't waste time consuming ourselves with what we think others will think about us, right? What's important is what you think of yourself. And I think the more you consume yourself with image or what other people may think of you, I think the more stifled you can be. And I think that it plays a part in insecurity 
And then I think it attacks your identity because you've actually kind of self-imposed this identity on, on you that no one else is imposing on you. Or I don't know, maybe in your environment, you've been rewarded for being the person who knows it all. And so you feel like I got to always know it all. Or you've been rewarded for being the person who is outstanding at doing a certain job or outstanding at maybe you're like the go-to person or you're the reliable person in your friends or your spouse's life. And so when you can't meet that image, you feel like you failed. But I'm here to let you guys know that I want to really reiterate this. What you think of yourself is what's most important. And don't worry about what you think others think of you. Because something that's so freeing to me to know, even give myself this affirmation from time to time, is that people are not thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. They really aren't. People are much more (laughs) self-oriented, self-consumed than you would think. So if you don't meet this expectation that you think others may have placed on you, or maybe you placed on yourself and assumed other people were expecting this identity or this label of you, if you don't meet the expectation, guess what? The world will keep turning and your life will go on. So I hope this information was helpful. I hope that this podcast was inspiring. And remember, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, you can email me at thesocialworkjournal at gmail.com. Also, I'm going to be posting all this information on my blog at www.thesocialworkjournal.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. There will be another article that I'm going to post. Um, It's just a little fun little magazine article from Inc. I think it's just Inc. And it's called, Are You the Good or Bad Kind of Perfectionist? I didn't want to get into this article because I think it's just for fun. And I don't want people to think of perfectionism as good or bad. The last note I want to leave you with is think about your perfectionism. If you are a perfectionist, is is your perfectionism healthy or unhealthy? Or what aspects of your perfectionism are healthy and what aspects of your perfectionism are unhealthy? And what are some ways that you can use some positive affirmations, to kind of reorient those unhealthy types of perfectionism and make them more productive and more healthy. So once again, thank you all for tuning in and I will see you next time. All right, take care.